All right, we are back, um, kind of. So we're going to be doing something a little different this show and probably uh, going forward here. Um, I'll still do the show um, with Dom and Carl probably every Sunday or something around then. Um, we're going to get back into doing shows pretty regularly regularly soon here. Um, but we're going to also be doing a little weekday midweek show also uh try and do it weekly with a uh, good friend of the program here uh brendan spangler brendan spangler how are you not doing too bad jack how's how you doing i'm all right i'm all right ready to uh talk a little sports with you here uh, absolutely absolutely one of the uh, best times of the year conference basketball opened up uh bowl season's just coming to an end obviously hell of a game the other night yeah really fun yeah, it was. Um, so, are you on the uh, are you on the LSU's the best college football team of all time bandwagon? Um, you know what? They're they're a hell of a team. Joe Burrow had arguably one of the best college seasons ever. But putting LSU as the best team of all time, I, that might be a little stretch for me. I think they're extremely good. You can put them in. There's an argument for it. They have the resume. They definitely have the resume, but they have the resume. You got to admit they got the resume to be there. Oh, absolutely. I mean, we talked. Burrow had an absolutely great season. They, They've probably got two out of the five best wide receivers in college football. Edward Hilaire in the backfield. I mean, they offensively that team was stacked. You, I would I would say that they might be the best offensive team of all time. Yeah, and it's it's kind of all coming full circle. Once they won, because every all the all the exposed takes of how when uh, Ed Orgeron got hired, everybody's just getting roasted for saying how terrible of a hire that was, and uh, look at them now. Exactly, exactly. If there was anybody that was born to do a job, it was Ed Orgeron as LSU's head football coach. Oh, no doubt, no doubt. He he's. I mean, he's unbelievable. He's just like. I mean. It's just seeing that guy has got to make you want to play some football and hit somebody right in the mouth. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I can only imagine listening to a pregame speech from him or even at halftime no. of that Clemson-LSU game. I can only imagine what came out of his mouth. I I don't think there's any coach that could motivate me to play any harder. And I'm a northern guy. I'm not even from the bayou like most of those guys are. Right, exactly. I mean... <laughs> All, a lot of those guys are hometown kids. They're LSU, Louisiana guys. So you've got to think like, I mean, they're just they're just so pumped up to play for him and play there. And then, and then he gives you to you know whatever speech he gives you. I'm sure that just gets you ready to kick somebody right in the teeth. But absolutely, absolutely. I, I'm not gonna lie. It was very nice to see LSU win. I was getting a little tired of Alabama and Clemson and yeah. all those schools just dominating year in, year out. It was nice to see some new blood in there. No doubt. Um, sticking with current events here, we're seeing a lot of the baseball scandal going on. I mean, sign stealing seems to be the new way of the new way of life for a lot of these teams. I mean, and it's just it's unbelievable to me how all these coaches or I, all these coaches are getting in trouble for it. You know, that A.J. Hinch lost his job. Alex Cora lost his job. Carlos Beltran, without even coaching a game, lost his job. And it seems like the players are just pretty much getting off scot-free here when, I mean, 
they're the ones who did it. Like, they're the ones who are guilty. Like, I mean, not to say that the managers aren't guilty. I'm sure they knew it was going on and let it go. But to some extent, the players, at, at some point, the players have to be held accountable because they're the ones who are actually doing it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I feel like the MOB is trying to establish a scapegoat. You know, they're going after Cora. They're claiming Cora was part of all of this stuff. They just want to have somebody to blame without tearing, you know, the structure of an organization apart. I right. mean, you look at the Astros. I mean, how many guys were involved? I mean, with the recent developments, now people are claiming that there were buzzers. Buzzers? Oh, my God. I know. It's unbelievable. Wires. And it's just, I mean, when does it end? No. I mean, I, how, how far did this cheating go? Well, and I saw a video today on Twitter, and it was like of Jose Altuve not wanting his jersey ripped off after he hit the home run off uh, Oraldis Chapman, and they're saying he didn't want it ripped off because it would expo- would have exposed his buzzer. I mean, it, it makes sense. I mean, no, it the more does. You look at things, and the more I mean, the more stuff that comes out, uh, there are more things that you can connect the dots to, and when you connect them, it's not pointing to something pretty for the no. Houston Astros. No, and oh come on, and. Another thing, too, is I saw a picture and of Jose Altuve and his jersey, the outline on his jersey looks pretty clear that he's wearing some kind of device on his what would be right shoulder. And I mean, it's just it's I don't understand how like a lot of the other teams knew they were doing it and they're just like, oh, yeah, they're going to do it. So like, like, why wouldn't she? Why is it just being brought up now? Like, this has been going on for a long time and there was the memo i don't know if you heard about the memo there was some memo ha- sent out by rob manfred um in spring training of 2017 and it said like we knew this was go that we know this is going on you know you guys need to stop it and the yankees were supposed to be the biggest um culprits in that scandal from like 2010 to 2015 or 2012 to 2015 i'm not sure but it's just like, so why is Houston and Boston's cheating worse than New York's cheating? It's just because it was sent after they did it after the memo. Like, I mean, it just seems like Rob Manfred's trying to claim some power back and save some face because, I mean, it seems like they had an idea that something like this was going on for a long time. Yeah, I feel like in a way they almost didn't want to admit that it was going on. They didn't want to taint the game. I mean, let's be honest. Right. There was worried. They were one of the most entertaining teams in baseball. That offense, the way that they were hitting the ball with all those studs on their team, you don't want to tear that down. And at the same time, nobody really wants to report them. You know, nobody wants to be that snitch guy. Right. Like, finally did it. But, I mean, it just all comes down to the point of what's too much to forgive and let go. Right. And when it got to this point, I mean, you can't let that go. No, no, I agree. And like like I said, I think I think Rob Manfred comes out comes out of this whole thing looking pretty bad. Pre- pretty pretty bad. I would I, I would almost say. feel bad for the guy because there's really how do you deal with this? What are you supposed to do? Because you you've never seen this before. You have to set a precedent somehow. How do you choose what you're going to do? You know, I mean, he got put into an impossible situation. I mean, he was stuck between a rock and a hard place. Right. Do I do, do I, you know, destroy one of 
not even just one, but multiple teams that are at the top of the league right now. Right. You know, I mean, and let's be honest, baseball's ratings haven't yeah, been the best. going down. I mean, baseball, as much as I hate to say it, I love the game of baseball. I know a lot of people around me that do. Oh, yeah, it's popularity. I grew up with it. But the popularity is just not what it used to be. No, I mean, no, You can it's not. see it. People don't talk about baseball as much anymore. No. And in a way, I feel like it was almost a way they ignored this cheating because they felt, you know what, it's good for the game. It makes things more exciting. Maybe it'll bring people in. Right. And well, They're trying all these new things, and I feel like it just got to the point where it was out of control and it, something had to be done. Right. And I think it also... The fact that he fined the owner of the Astros $5 million, which is the maximum he can fine them per the CBA, um, it shows that he really wants to put an end to it because I think I think that's the only way to really end it is to find, find the owner because if the owner is getting hit in the pocket like that and he knows there's going to be future fines and more severe, well, I guess technically there can't be more severe fines, but there's going to be more fines similar to that $5 million fine, then he's going to put an end to it. He's going to say, you know, if this is costing me money, we're not going to be, we're not going to be doing it. Cause if you just, if you just punish players, I think, you know, it's, I don't think it deters them all that much, but I think when you go after the owners, I think that really is the sign. Like that just says, we're going to end this right here. And, and if you keep doing it, there's just going to be more severe punishments. And I think I would think that, if something like this happens again, I would think at some point players got to start getting suspended for stuff like this. But oh, absolutely! If if the buzzer thing is true, I mean Altuve, Bregman, everybody involved with that should be right. They should be done. Well, I don't know for what amount of time. Right, that's the thing. How long do you kick them out for? Because I mean, those are faces of the game. Like, do you kick him out Bregman's for a, year? a young guy. Bregman's up and coming. Bregman was a future star of this Yeah, I met, I met Bregman in Detroit, humble brag. But <laughs> I met him. He seemed like a nice guy. I talked to him for about a minute. He seemed like a good dude. I mean, and it's not he's not a guy that I think, you know, I want him out of the game forever. But, like, when you're doing stuff like this, I mean, if you're wearing buzzers, it's just like. I mean, I mean that's, that's heinous. It's one thing, you know, sign stealing's part of the game. It always has been, like it or not. There's a guy on second. You, your pitcher and catcher have to be on the same page. What number sign we're doing? You know, there's a ton of different options you can do so that they don't pick signs. But when you get to the point where it's technologically involved, I mean, technology doesn't belong with that. Right. Technology should be there to enhance the fans' game, and even to a degree, the scouts. I don't have a problem if a scout's looking at stuff and they pick things up. That's that's part of the game. But when you come to the point where they're where you're doing feeding the information with live feed, I mean that's just you can't do that. No, and I agree. I feel like honestly, I almost feel like the punishments weren't harsh enough because I feel like to set that precedent early, you need to come down hard. You need to show, look, I'm going to punish this severely. Obviously, you said they find the owner the maximum amount, but. That's chump change to them. That's not really. Oh yeah, I mean it's a drop in the bucket to a guy like that. Yeah, exactly. I mean you can MLB owners can find five million dollars in their couch, right? <laughs> but at the same time, you know, he did the best he could. What else is he gonna do? I mean, well, lifetime it, bans. I mean, I mean, is this worth a lifetime ban? It comes. It, it comes down to how much did he know? 
Exactly. And there's more stuff coming out. And you know what? Who even knows? I mean, Carlos Beltran's so-called niece. I mean, he <laughs> actually his niece. Like, what's going on here? The family's saying she's not even related to him. So really, I didn't see that. The family came out and said that she's not even related to him. So the new rumor is that it's a player in the MLB that made a fake account and did all this fake stuff to, you know, whistleblow. Right. And that was his so-called connection was that he was Carlos Belt or that the person is Carlos Beltran's niece when it's actually just a player going undercover. (laughs) Well, who knows what's going on, man? It's the next couple days, I think will tell us a lot. But it's there's just so much stuff all coming out at once. It's just a storm. Right. Well, and two, it's like, I mean, now these teams need new managers. And, I mean, we're in the middle of June here. Or not June, January. Yeah, I mean, spring trading's not that far away. No. So it's like, like, I don't understand how, I don't know. Like, I feel like baseball need, really needed to be quicker about this. Like, this took, I feel like this took way longer than it should have to, I like, agree. expose and I mean, it, to us, it stuff. seems pretty cut and dry. It seems like, okay, this happened, it's pretty obvious there's evidence for it. But at the same time, you know, they have, you know, they have to do the due process. They have to make sure everything's right. They have to go through everything, you know. We are still in America. You're innocent until proven guilty. That's but right. in this case, it did not take, it should not have taken long to have found enough evidence to have that guilty verdict come down right well and i mean like so this is one of those things that you really can only do at home right so you're not you're not doing this you're not having you don't have the opportunity to do this on the road and i mean like the astros i mean they have their big core four they have their their correa springer altuve bregman and i mean their home road splits the only person who has really bad home road splits on the Astros over the last three years is Carlos Correa. So, I mean, and he's not getting mentioned at all. And not that's not to say that he's doing it or he's a serious culprit in any of this. But, like, I mean, a lot of the Astros, some of them hit better on the road. So it's like, are you really going to give these guys big-time bans when they weren't even having that much of an advantage? And another thing, too, is... Every, I mean, they're not going to be right about it every time. So, like, don't you think maybe you get buzzed once, you're expecting a changeup and a fastball goes right by you, and then the next time you get buzzed, you're like, that makes you unsure of it, wouldn't you think? Oh, absolutely. So, I, I, don't, really, I don't really know how much of an advantage this could have been. Like, I mean, I'm sure it was to some degree, but, like, like Alex Bregman... um. OPS at home in last year, 923. OPS on the road, 1109. Jose Altuve last year, OPS at home, 979. OPS on the road, 836. So, I mean, that's kind of significant. But, I mean, he's still, even at home, is an, an above 800 OPS guy. So, I mean, he's still hitting well. And he hit 306 at home, two, 291 on the road. So, that's not a significant split. George Springer at home... 287 average on the road, 297 with OPSs of, where is it? Where is it? Right here. 932 at home, 1012 on the road. And then Carlos Correa is the only, the real, the only real guy who has serious home road splits. 323 average at home, 242 on the road. 
an OPS of 1034 at home and 836 on the road with a WRC plus of 176 at home and 115 on the road. And for anybody who's wondering what WRC plus is, um, weighted runs created plus, it's generally a statistic that just tells you um, how prolific you're, you are as an offensive player and 100 is considered major league average. So I mean at home way above average at 176 and on the road way below, or not below average, but way closer to being average at 115. And I mean, his strikeout rate for Carlos Correa at home was 29.5%, which is huge. And then on the road, it drops down to 18.2%. So I, I, I don't know. I mean, it's like maybe maybe on the at home, he swings for the fences more because he try, thinks he knows what pitch is coming. And every once in a while, he, he whiffs, but... I don't you know, know. It's, it's hard to say. I mean, all the numbers seem to point in the direction that really this this didn't really affect anything that much. Well, right, and so it's just that that that's just so strange to me to think that that didn't make that big a difference. You know, personally as a hitter, I don't like knowing what pitch is coming. I would always ignore the guy in second when he'd be trying to signal in pitches. I hated knowing what pitch was coming. It right, because it messes with you and focus, and it messed with me. But at the same time. I wasn't facing 95 to 100 mile an hour fastballs with filthy sliders and all these different pitches. Right. But, I mean, with those numbers, it doesn't really seem no. that the cheating made a huge difference. No, and I mean, you can point to specific situations like like the Astro with uh, Altuve hitting that home run off Chapman, but I don't think that this would be something that he would just do sometimes. Like, it doesn't seem like, oh, this is a playoff game, so now I'm going to wear it, but I didn't wear it all regular season. Like, you would think he would wear it in the regular season, too, and it just doesn't, the numbers just don't point to any of them having any big-time advantage at home. So, at the, like, when you hear the words out loud, what they're doing, it sounds really bad, but when you actually look at the numbers and see their home road splits, like, it just doesn't seem like this is a significant problem that is really tainting the outcomes of baseball games. Because, like I said, with the ex- with the acceptance of Correa, or the exception of Correa, nobody else was really that different of a hitter on home versus road. Yeah, but. that's a really interesting point. Um, and your home, the home road splits are the other thing. You know, you play half your games at home and half of them on the road. Right. And so, really, and as you said, it didn't create a big statistical advantage. So, it's hard to say. You know, honestly, I don't think we'll ever know. You know, maybe they only use it. No, for big probably won't. Times. You know, no player is going to come out and openly admit to cheating. No. No. And they shouldn't. I mean, I don't. I wouldn't. No, I, I mean, wouldn't. Yeah, either. I got caught, but we already had our fall guy. Let's just keep playing ball and we'll try and adjust as times go on. Yeah, and I mean, it's not like something that, like, these are all these were all established guys before, like, ex- except with the exception of Correa. Actually, no, I mean, Bregman came up in 2017, I believe. Um, Correa came up in 2016, the year before that, maybe 2015. So, I mean, I guess that they, they've come up with it, but, like, Altuve, I mean, you know Altuve is a good hitter with or without these signs so it's like i mean i just don't know what i don't know what we're doing here i don't think i don't think that like on one on one 
side of it, there's this, like, this is really bad, but on the other side of it, it's like, is this really distorting, you know, outcomes of baseball games? But Exactly. And not only that, let's be real with ourselves. Houston's not the only team doing this. Neither's Boston. The, I am willing to bet that probably one-third of, of the league does this, to a degree. Maybe not as bad as Houston, but I'm sure that there are teams out there that use technology the wrong way. I mean, how couldn't you? Right. If you aren't cheating, you aren't trying. I mean, the Yankees' names have been included. Uh, the Dodgers even came uh, The Dodgers came up. Logan Morrison was Brewers. talking about Brewers are Brewers, Rangers, and Athletics are teams that I've seen as being well-known for doing this also. <laughs> exactly. And these teams have reputations right. among the other teams. Well, and Anderson, if it's really that big of a problem and, you know, teams felt that it was changing the outcomes of games, wouldn't you think they would have brought it up sooner? Well, and another thing, too, is, like, if everybody is doing it, they're not going to want to out other guys for doing it. Yeah, exactly. Like, if you know you're doing something and somebody else gets caught for doing the same thing you're doing, you're not going to be, you know, on the streets begging for that guy to get thrown out of baseball when you know you're guilty of the same thing. And it seems like a lot of players are kind of just, like, some of them are, like, it seems like more pitchers are being hushed about it and then, or more pitchers are being vocal about it, and then more hitters are just kind of like being hush hush about it. So I think it's a lot. I think it's a lot more prevalent than than MLB wants to lead on. But at some point, the cat's going to get out of the bag. Absolutely, I agree with that. But really quick, I wanted a lot of uh, a lot of buzz is going on about Tua Tagovailoa possibly getting drafted by the Lions. You in for that, or are you out for that? <laughs> Honestly, it, it all depends on where it falls. I I feel that Matthew Stafford is actually a very competent quarterback. I feel like he's really, you know, for what he's been given over the years, I think he's done a great job. The Agreed. only problem is that injury to his back, that is not an injury that heals very well. No. Well, and it's just a matter of time before he falls apart. And we're looking at all these guys starting to retire younger and younger. I mean, look at just this year how many young guys have retired. Right. I mean, and uh, personally, I would not mind having a competent backup quarterback. You know, David Blau, <laughs> David Blow, whatever you want to call him. I mean, he he's not it. No, he's not the answer. No, and so it just depends on where he falls. Would I want Tua drafted the third spot that we have? Honestly, probably not. Why, though? I just feel like there's better players out there. And we're, we already have a quarterback with an injury risk. I mean, a, that injury that Tua had, there's no guarantee that he's going to be able to. No, be, but... He's going to be back at 100%. Well, I mean, he'll, he'll, he'll heal from it. He'll be okay. But will he be the same? Well, that's, that, the, that's the key. That's the thing. A lot of people bring up, like, oh, this is the same injury Bo Jackson had and all that crap like that. It's like, okay, yeah, it is the same injury. But that injury also happened 30 years ago. Oh, absolutely. Medical technology has improved so much. So and you need to... I, think, I, I Personally, I don't think that it will be a problem. But at the no, same I time, don't either. there's always that risk. Right. And there's a ton of great players that are coming out. And really, honestly, I don't think the Lions need a quarterback more than they need other positions. I honestly would... Uh, I wouldn't mind trading down a couple spots for a team that needs a quarterback. 
It depends what you get, but it, I you need to get two I first. Think the Lions, obviously, Chase Young is going to be gone. Joe Burrow is going to be gone. Yep, those are the two. And I personally think that the player the Lions need to draft out of this draft is Jeff Okuda, the cornerback out of Ohio State. Okuda? Yeah, yeah I mean, he's a cornerback. Darius Slay is not going to be around much longer. He has made it adamant that he is not a big fan of the Lions organization after they traded Quandre. So, and he's not going to want to hang around. We need somebody to replace him. And, I mean, Patricia's a defensive coach. Obviously, his scheme was horrid last year. It did not work. But if the Lions are going to be a good team, we're going to have to build it defensively. So... The thing is with tra- drafting Okuda, I'm all I'm all down for drafting Okuda, uh, unless they trade Darius Slay, because then it's like what are you, it's like you're not making any progress. You know what I mean? Like if you trade away an All Pro cornerback and then you draft an All Pro cornerback or what you hope will be an All Pro cornerback, it's like where where's the progress there? So. It's interesting. I mean, in a way, that would be a good replacement, I think, though, because it depends on what we can get for Slay. If we get something different for Slay, say a backup quarterback, you know, a lineman, a couple draft picks. Well, yeah, I mean, I guess I don't, I, I have no idea what we could get. If we could get, I mean, if we could get a first round pick, then that's a whole different ballgame. But, you know, if you're trading him for a second, third round pick, as opposed to just keeping him for a year and keeping Jeff Okuda and Darius Slay together, and who knows, maybe they get Okuda, keep Slay, and they're shut down, and they're a dynamic duo, and he says, you know what, we're really building something here, and I want to stay. But, you know, if you, I think, the thing is, if you keep losing, then if, you, if they have a bad season next year, then, like you said, Slay's gone, um... Patricia, Quinn are gone at the very least. Um, we don't know Snacks' future. He might he might want to retire. I don't know. Who knows with him? So, I mean, it's just Mike it's so Daniels, to say, too. There's just so many variables that go into it. Right. And Mike Daniels, Honestly, too, and Aishon, you know, they're going to be gone. So, I mean, you might have to rebuild that whole interior defensive lineman. And here's the thing, too. Like, we have 50 mil in cap space. So, yeah, we've got the money. It's just the yeah. only problem is I think you guys were talking about this in an earlier podcast. We're going to have to pay more than a person's worth to get them to come to Detroit. That's true, too. But so, I don't think – I it, with the Detroit Lions, I think it's going to be difficult to build a team in free agency. We're going to have to draft one. Yeah, no, agreed. Smart trades. Agreed. But I don't know. With Tua, like if you had told – if you had told Lions fans a year ago, right now, would you like we can give you two of right now? Would you take them? Yes or no? I mean, I think ninety percent of people would have said yes. So like, I just don't see like everybody was tanking for Tua and like everyone was on board with that. So why why aren't we anymore? That's just that's just what I don't get. I and I mean I it's all kind of a moot point because I think there's about a zero percent chance they draft Tua because. Quinn and Patricia are playing for their jobs this year, so you know if they if they have a down season, because I mean Tua is a long term pick. You're, he's not he's not your answer in the short term. I mean you're still gonna have Stafford next year, so you're not gonna want to start him at least in the beginning of the season. Who knows how Stafford's health holds up, but you're not gonna want to start Tua from day one. So you're pretty much putting for at least for this season, 
you would be pretty much wasting the draft pick. For the long term, it would not be a waste, obviously. I think it'd be a really good pick, but they're gonna they're gonna be looking out for their own jobs this year. And I mean, it's hard to it's hard to argue with them when the Fords run their operation so terribly. I mean, if you're coaching if you're if you're picking and drafting for your job, you're gonna pick the guy who's gonna make the most impact in the shortest amount of time. So Oh, absolutely. And, you know, everybody wants to blame Quinn and Patricia. And, you know, I'm not defending them. I don't think that they've done a very great job. But it's just the organization. You mentioned it, the ownership. The the organization has just ran terribly. It's never been run very well. Right. I mean, we run people out. I mean, if an organization has two generational greats that retire early just to stop playing here, <laughs> you know, they can they can cite health reasons, you know. That's all crap. Yeah. Let's be real. They were tired of playing for the Lions because they knew that the Lions were not going anywhere. Well, I mean, even Calvin has come out and said, like, if we were winning, it might have been different. I might have stayed. But, you know, that losing takes a toll on people. And that just goes back to maybe Stafford doesn't stay here that much longer. Maybe he does retire. You know, his wife wife was really sick recently. Who knows how much that is a factor in his decision making. Um, You know, he's had the two back injuries. So, who knows, man. We might... Might be ending the end, nearing the end of the Matthew Stafford era in Detroit, but only time will tell. Exactly, and you know what? I don't blame Stafford. No, I, I know I a lot of people out there want to blame Stafford. I feel that Stafford's career was wasted when he was drafted by the Detroit Lions. Well, I mean, think about how many coordinators and schemes and coaches he's played for. Like, I mean, he's played for what f- four or five head coaches. Let's see. He. Was uh, let's see. He played for obviously he's played for Patricia, played for Caldwell, played Schwartz. for Schwartz. Did he play for Marinelli's last year? Was Marinelli around still for his last, for his rookie year? Um, I'm or not. Did they bring sure. Schwartz in for his rookie year? Let me look. I want to say Stafford's rookie year was Jim Schwartz's first year, but I'm not 100 percent sure. Let's see. Let's see. So. Jim Schwartz's first year was 2009, and Matthew Stafford let's see here Matthew Stafford's first year was 2009, so he's played for four coaches he's had probably the same amount, if not more, offensive coordinators, so I mean I have nothing bad to say about the guy. I've always thought he's a little overrated with all the counting stats and stuff like that, but he's still, I mean, he's still a good quarterback and he's gone out and played really, I mean, he's played his heart out for the city. So you can't have oh, a guy like that. He's playing through all this stuff. I mean, I don't blame Stafford at all. No, but, um, yeah, you ready to wrap up the line? You good with wrapping up the lions there? Yeah, it's it's tough to talk about a depressing subject for too long. All right, all right. Well, then let's let's move on to what we're really here to talk about: Big Ten basketball, um, Michigan State. Um, obviously, the focus of Big Ten basketball with uh, their conference leading five and one record, but um, just got pounded by Purdue, twenty nine points. Um, it's not. It's not really a place that they really ever have that much success. And it just shows how good the Big Ten is because there's really no easy road wins. No, absolutely. 
absolutely not. I mean, Northwestern and Nebraska are really the only two teams in the Big Ten right now that don't have an argument to be tournament teams. Well, even even Northwestern didn't they just beat they just beat Ohio State didn't they? Or no, they beat Nebraska. I'm sorry. Okay, so that's their only that's their only Big Ten win. Yeah. So I mean, the Big Ten's just deep. I don't know if I've ever been alive to see not even just the Big Ten, but a conference that's this strong. Right. I mean, I mean, Michigan State is a great team. Michigan State is going to be. I probably will think. Honestly, I think Michigan State will be a one seed by the time March rolls around. I think, uh, you know, I think Michigan got a little too much buzz. They beat a couple of teams that were ranked high at the time. You know, they beat North Carolina. Look what happened to them. Right. I think it's a little overhyped. That being said, they're still a really good team. Yeah. Uh, I mean, they're still they good. Ohio, they're State. Still good. Ohio State didn't really play anybody early. They won a bunch of games. They looked really good. And then all of a sudden, they kind of fell apart. But that's just because the Big Ten's going to cannibalize itself. Right. Right, Which and I is really, I, mean, I would I would not complain if eleven Big Ten teams made the tournament. Well, I mean, just think about it like this: When has Rutgers ever been a basketball team that people talked about? I mean, even in the old Big East, Rutgers was never really talked about. I mean, they have they have wins this year over Pitt, or no, they don't have a win over Pitt. I'm sorry, uh, they have wins over Wisconsin, Seton Hall, who just beat number five Butler last night. They beat Seton Hall by twenty. Um, wins over Nebraska, Penn State, just lost on Saturday, a close game to number 24, Illinois, beat Indiana, got a game against Minnesota coming up on Sunday. So, I mean, like, I mean, they're, they're getting close to being in the argument for being a ranked team. Oh, absolutely. And their resume speaks for itself. They've played some good teams and they've won. They've, they've come out on top in a lot of them. And that's the crazy thing this year. I don't think I've ever been alive to see college basketball with this much parity in it. No, and I mean, especially in the Big Ten. I mean, the Big Ten this year is just bananas. Like It really is. I mean, you can't go into any game expecting to win. No, even especially on the road. Two bad teams, even them, they, they'll beat some teams they're not supposed to. Well, I mean, even think about Illinois. Illinois has wins over Rutgers, Wisconsin, Purdue, um, Old Dominion. They have a win over Michigan. I mean, like, it's just—it's unbelievable. They, like, these teams are just coming in and they're kind of out of nowhere. That nobody expected them to really be that good. I mean, I don't know. I wasn't coming into the year expecting Illinois to be four and two in the conference and twelve and five in mid-January. Like. <coughs> It's just it's just getting crazy in the Big Ten right now. Yeah, and, definitely. I mean, even Wisconsin. Wisconsin lost a ton, and, you know, they had a sluggish start, and now they've turned it around and are playing well. Illinois has had some big wins, like you mentioned. Purdue's always going to play teams tight. Ohio State, Michigan, Michigan State. Minnesota's playing great. Their center. Well, shoot, what's his name again? Oh, come on, Spangler. I just watched the game uh, the other night when he was playing. Uh, it's a, it starts with an O, I'm pretty sure. Come on, Spangler, you got it. You can get it. <sighs> all right, all right, hold on. Time. Here, I'll help you out. I'll help you out here. Uh, Oturu. Oturu, that's right. I knew I, I, I knew I wasn't really going to be able to pronounce it. Daniel Oturu. He's, he's a stud. I mean, and you know, a team that is kind of flying under the radar that I think 
can you know make a lot of noise in the next month or two that people aren't talking a ton about is Iowa. I knew I, th- I th- that's who I thought you were going to say. I figured you would say either Iowa or Penn State. I'm not sold on Penn State yet. I mean, I know that they've had a great year so far, but I think that in the next month or so they're going to come back come back down to earth a little bit. But Let's see who they've beaten. See if they've beaten anybody good. Um, Wagner, Georgetown's an okay win. Yale's an okay win. Um, uh, they beat Syracuse by twenty-one. That's a pretty good win. Yeah, Syracuse is down a little bit, but it's still a good win. It's, it's still a good win. I mean, the, to beat the zone by twenty. I mean, to put up eighty-five on that defense is always is always something you got to look at. Um, they beat Iowa, beat Cornell, lost to Rutgers, uh, lost to Wisconsin, and they just lost to Minnesota. So yeah, they've been tailing off a little bit here, but. I mean, who knows? And they just they beat Alabama too, and Alabama just beat they just beat Kentucky last last night, I believe. That was a tough uh, ten wins. So. Auburn, they beat Auburn. Auburn, you're right, you're right. I'm sorry. Yeah, gave Auburn their first loss. How fitting was that that Auburn's first loss would be to Bama? But Kentucky <laughs> also too. Kentucky got beat on a buzzer beater by South Carolina. That's what. Okay, that's what it was. You're right. I, I was going to say, I thought I could have swore Kentucky lost last night. But yeah, right, they did. Right. They got beat on a buzzer beater. But that's the thing. I mean, and that's the thing. Uh, it's not just happening in the Big Ten. No, it's, it's happening deep, everywhere. As, as deep and good as the Big Ten is, um, it's happening everywhere. And, you know, I mean, let's, I mean, just look at what happened to the ACC this year. The ACC is terrible. No, it's crazy. I mean, you look at the top of the ACC, you see Florida State, Louisville, Duke, Virginia Tech. Three good teams right there, and then after that, it tails off quick. Virginia, you don't really. I mean, Virginia's been inconsistent, yeah, which is three and really three in the conference. Not Virginia's thing. I mean, then there's UNC, who's one and four in the conference, eight and eight overall. I mean, yeah, I mean, North Carolina's taken a tumble. Virginia Tech has, you know, they beat Sparty obviously early in the year, but that was a fluke. I mean, there's really nobody else. I mean. This is a great year to be a bottom tier team in the ACC because <laughs> you're going to end up being like fifth or sixth in the league potentially. Right, right. I mean, yeah, you got to you. The ACC, the name still carries some weight. So I mean, you know, you come into the ACC tournament and you're the fifth or sixth, sixth best team. Maybe you're on the bubble. You get a couple wins in that tournament. There, you beat you beat maybe a Syracuse, a Clemson, a Virginia Tech, and then all of a sudden you're the fifth or sixth best team and all of a sudden you're a tournament team. Yeah, exactly, exactly. It's it, it's it's going to be a, a wild ride, that's for sure. How about Clemson? Uh, yeah, they just beat... Uh, their first beat one against Duke. North Carolina on the road in 60 tries. Yeah, and then they beat Duke the next game. Yeah, and then they come back and beat Duke. I want to say that they were... I saw a stat, I'm pretty sure they're the second team all-time to upset Duke and North Carolina in consecutive games. <laughs> I don't doubt it. I don't doubt it. That doesn't seem like something that happens very often. No, but... I mean, great story. I mean, makes up for what happened on Monday night. Hmm. Yeah. But it's just, it, it, it's unpredictable. I mean, you can go into any game winning. I mean, how many ranked teams have lost to unranked teams? I want to say that, uh, what was it? I think there was like nine or ten top five teams have lost to unranked teams this year. Huh. Jeez, that's crazy. Yeah, it's just, it was a stat at the end of the Alabama-Auburn game because Alabama was unranked and Auburn was number four. 
And it's just, it makes you go, holy cow, what is going on with the top teams this year? I'm not sure if the top teams just aren't as good or if the lower tier teams are getting better. You know, the, the gap's starting to get a little smaller. But I, I, it's just, it's amazing. And, you know, some people want to complain about how there's no clear front runner. I think this is the beauty of college basketball. Yeah. Right here. You never know what's going to happen. A ton of teams that are playing well and a ton of teams, you know, it's, it's just an equal playing field now. And everybody is showing out you know those small schools are coming to play you right know, the non-blue bloods are coming to play they're they're out for blood and they're well and i mean they're, they're winning well it just goes to show how how good youth basketball is nowadays i mean there's so many competitive leagues and teams that go like aaus the aaus of the world like there's so many leagues like that where all these players are getting so good so young and so talented that when they come up there's just not a big degree of separation between you know the top five star number one recruit and maybe the number 30 recruit I mean the, the separation is just not huge and then and then it just comes full circle and when they get to college and they start playing in college basketball games and I mean anybody can beat anybody because the separation of talent's just not that big but who knows but all right let's talk about Michigan State specifically here for a little bit um just lost to Purdue, um, lost pretty handily, like I said, by 29. Um, was pr- a pretty bad game for the Aaron Han- Aaron Henry guy, people of the world. Um, three points, five boards, no assists. It didn't, it just, watching that game, he didn't really look like he, like, and he has games like this, he just doesn't, sometimes he just kind of gets his head in the clouds and doesn't realize what he's going, what's going on right now. And he just doesn't know what to do. And I don't know. And we just had another, had Kyle Arns, who's going to be out again for what I think Izzo said he's going to be out indefinitely here. So, uh, I mean, I don't know, man. This team, I, I believe in Michigan State and I believe in Izzo, but... I mean, this team's starting to get really thin really fast. And, I mean, Thomas Kithier is having to play some big-time minutes. He played 15 minutes in this game. And, I mean, he just looks he looks completely outmatched right now. So, I mean, I, I, I mean, he came in. He had 15 minutes, two points, one board, no assists. So, I mean. It's just, it's, you know, it's, it's a war of attrition and. Right now, Michigan State's struggling with it. I mean, as soon as you knew Langford was not coming back, that was a huge blow. Yeah, that's a blow. And But honestly, I mean, as long as Winston and Tillman are playing, I think Michigan State will be okay. I mean, those two, those two have the ability to take a game over, especially Cassius Winston. I mean, I don't think Winston's getting enough love for the wooden watch. I mean, I know a lot of guys are having great seasons, but I don't know if there is a better floor captain – and a player that is more valuable to their team than Cassius Winston is. Well, he's getting he's getting a lot of. Uh, I think a lot of that had to do with he had a, a few bad down games after the tragedy with his family, and um, so I think it took him a few games to get back into it. And I mean, even I I heard a quote from him saying like the game against Duke, he just really didn't want to play in it. Like yeah, so he's. Then that's I not Cassius Winston. That's, well, that's like trying to focus on a basketball game when all that stuff's going on. Right. So, and, 
And and then obviously a couple games ago, I remember hearing after the game that basketball had finally started to become fun again. Right. And then, you know, that, that corresponds with the tear he was on for a while there. And, you know, he just had one bad game. And I mean, Michigan State is going to go as Cassius Winston goes. That's just, that's just the way it's going to be. That's just how this team is built. And you just wish that, you know, Aaron Henry is probably going to be a pro someday, but you just wish that that development could be a little quicker because this is our last year at Cassius. Like, yeah, exactly. You, exactly. So you just really you need that development to happen quickly. And, you know, maybe he's not, he's just not ready for it. And, you know, that's not his fault. But, you know, there, there just needs to be a way to speed this up because this is, I mean, realistically, this is probably Michigan State's last big time chance at a national championship under Izzo. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I mean, and the thing the thing about this Michigan State team that has surprised me a lot is the amount of players that Izzo plays every game. Well, he has to. I mean, but even early in the year, before people started getting hurt, he was cycling a bunch of guys in, and I think that that's actually going to help in the long run. I think that developing that depth is very important Yeah, Mark. And honestly, I think that these guys are going to start figuring it out. I mean, they're they're... You know, despite having Cassius and Tillman and some veteran guys around, they're a pretty young team. Right. And when they get that playing time going and they start getting in the rhythm a little bit more as the year goes on, I think that they're only going to get better as the year goes on. You were talking about Kithier. I mean, I think he'll improve. Uh, Henry, you know, Henry, I love him as a basketball player. He's got a lot of skills. He's just inconsistent. Right. And you're talking about development, and he just needs to develop that consistency. But I honestly think that Michigan State, their depth is going to, you know, it's going to pay off. They're going to need to use it because everybody's getting hurt. Right. So I think that Izzo, Izzo knew what he was doing at the beginning of the year when he was filtering a lot of guys in, getting them playing time, getting them in, in the game when you're kind of going, why is he playing right now? Right. You know, I mean, I, I remember early in the year, I was just like, what is uh, uh, Bingham and Watts, the two freshmen? Yeah. They looked like they did not belong on the court. They were firing up shots left and right, not going in, firing, firing away. And I was like, what are these two guys doing on the floor? But right now, this now as they're starting to mature a little bit and get used to the college game, I've noticed improvements from both of them. They're getting smarter. They're starting to realize what the situations are. So I think that once everybody gets into that groove and starts figuring out what their role is, Michigan State is still good. They're, they're a dangerous team, and they're only going to get better. Yeah. And, I- and you know, we all want to. Everybody wants to panic after the Purdue game, but those games happen. They're college kids, you know. They're eighteen to twenty-one years old, maybe a twenty-two-year-old in there. They're they're young kids. They're, you have no idea what's going on in their lives other than that, you know. Maybe they had a bad exam if they actually went, or you know, they're in <laughs> trouble with with a girlfriend or something. You know, you just never know what's going on. And they haven't evolved to the point. It's not professional. It's not like they're doing it for a job, right? You know. You just, it's, those days are going to happen, and you just got to move on from it. It was a terrible game, let's be real. It didn't look good. The flow was terrible. They didn't look like they wanted to be there. And, you know, you just got to pick it up and move on because in the Big Ten, you're going to have to move on from a bad game because you got a lot of tough ones coming up. Right. Well, I mean, they got uh, Wisconsin tomorrow night, and then they go to Indiana. Um, And I think, I think it'll be pretty good. I think it'll be good for – the players to get because I mean I don't think Big Ten Friday night games are that common for for Big Ten, so I yeah think, I saw that on the schedule and was kind of going why would that be on a Friday night but you know 
And that's a home game. So, I mean, you know, they get to play their home game and then they just get a Saturday night at home in their beds, in their apartments, you know, just to relax. And I mean, it's probably not that often where they get Sunday nights where they or Saturday nights where they don't have a game the next day. They don't have a game for a couple days because their next game after that is on Thursday. And then, you know, you kind of almost get like sort of a, a quasi bye week here. So, you know, maybe just get the team back together, um, get them to unwind a little bit. And the thing that the thing that really concerned me, you know, offensively, I'm not. I think, you know, games like that are going to happen. But defensively, like, a guy like Foster Lawyer, I mean, he just shouldn't be on the court right now. Like, I think I think the best thing Foster Lawyer could do is next time somebody drives him, just throw an elbow right in his face. Because people, people see him. No, I'm serious. Because people see him right now, and they're just like, okay, I can drive. I mean, he's just getting eaten alive right now on defense. So he, I mean, you do that one time and you show people, you know, you might be able to get by me, but you're going to get hit pretty hard on your way through it. So he just needs, yeah, exactly. he just looks, he just seems soft. Um, and he, he's really no offensive threat at all. I know he had, he had one big game. I think he had like 18 points against, um, I think it was Western. So, you know, that's not, that's not a big time opponent where, you know, 18 points against them really really gets you excited but you know it's just it's one of those things that there's a lot of guys right now and like you said the development may come but there's just a lot of guys right now that are getting big time minutes and just don't they just kind of look overmatched so i guess we'll have to see what happens but you know got the wisconsin game tomorrow um home game that would be an awesome game to go to yeah, I don't know what it is, but any game involving Wisconsin and basketball is always a fun game. You know, they play pretty fundamentally. They just they play basketball the right way, and for the most part, they they hang in with every team. Right. Well, so it's going to be an entertaining game. I'm kind of surprised at how Wisconsin has been this year. Because, I mean, last year, everything they had and everything they did pretty much ran through Ethan Happ. So, you know, you lose Ethan Happ, and, you know, you're like, well, what's going to happen now that they lost their best player and i mean it seems like they haven't really skipped a beat they're still they're still a formidable opponent they're still playing playing good games playing tough games they've just got just got big win against uh Maryland there and um i mean it's just it's interesting to see that they're that they're still in it but you know you can never really count out a, count out a Wisconsin basketball team cuz you know they're always going to come to play but. definitely Definitely. I think that Sparty's fortunate to be playing this game at home. They're definitely fortunate. Like you mentioned, you know, they get that little relaxation with their quasi-bye week and stuff. But this Wisconsin team's starting to hit their stride right now. And it's going to be important that Michigan State doesn't overlook them. And it's perfect because they got, you know, they got plenty of time off. There's not a huge game, you know, three days after that they have to look forward to. Right. So, that... I think it's going to be a great basketball game. I think Michigan State should win. Right. But I I do think that Wisconsin's a team that is built on beating teams on the road. Right. And, I mean, the schedule actually sets up kind of nice here. because they So they play Wisconsin at home. Then they play Indiana on the road on a Thursday night. Which, that's going to be a tough one. Indiana's always tough it's, to beat at home. It's a tough one, but, I mean, that's still a bottom. that's still a bottom-tier Big Ten team. I mean, they're one of the three or four worst teams in the Big Ten, probably. 
So then you have Minnesota on the road, and then you have Northwestern at home, and then you get Wisconsin on the road and Penn State. You get them at home. So I mean, they're gonna—they're not that they're gonna get easy games coming up here, but they're definitely gonna get a little bit of a break after they played some of the—they played a couple tough games. So. Yes. Hopefully yeah, which they can. Is good because after that they got the Penn State, yeah, Illinois, yeah. Maryland, and then they get Nebraska, but then they got Iowa and Maryland again. Yep. And then they end with Penn State again and Ohio State. Both of those are on the road. I mean, that's it's going to be a tough. No, close. no, no. The Ohio State game's at home. Oh, is it at home? Maybe yeah, yeah, yeah. Ohio State's a home game. Okay, gotcha. Well, either way, that's a tough closing stretch. Yeah, and they're going to have to. They need to take advantage of this easier stretch right now. They got to win probably what. They could probably afford to lose one of them, but they need to win the rest of them because that closing stretch is going to be tough to finish strong on. Well, how many? So, about to wrap it up here, sitting at about 53 minutes. Really quick, how many losses do you think wins the Big Ten? In conference? Yeah, in conference play. I would say anywhere from four to six. Somewhere in that range? Probably. I think I'd probably take the safe bet and say five. I think, yeah. I think Michigan State will end up losing five games. I still think Michigan State will win the Big Ten regular season. Um, that being said, uh, their biggest threat to me right now, you know, it's really hard to say. I, I don't think Michigan's there to win the Big Ten. I think Michigan's a great team, but I don't think that they're ready to win the Big Ten yet. Ohio State, after their terrible start, they're going to struggle to win the Big Ten. You know, it's I'm, just a matter of I, – I really don't know who would be in second. I, I think, think it'd be Wisconsin. I think Wisconsin's got to be the biggest threat at this point. They're the team that – I mean, Maryland – I mean, they're not to say that they're the best team. I think I think Maryland is better. I think, I think Purdue is probably better. Illinois is Illinois, – Illinois and Wisconsin are tough. You know, they might be – 1A and 1B for their biggest threat. But, I mean, Ohio State, you know, I would have said preseason is a threat, but they're 2-4 th- and four right now. So, I mean, that like if you're saying five wins is going to – five losses is going to win the conference, then I don't see them only losing one more game the rest of conference play. So Yeah, exactly. That's that's the thing. They're a tough start. That's going to be tough to rebound from. Right. Honestly, I would probably at the moment say that it's either going to be Maryland or Illinois. Yeah. I mean, no, I definitely agree. So – all right, last last thing here. Who would you say are the what would you say who would you say are the top five teams right now in the Big Ten? At the moment in the Big Ten? Yeah. Uh let's see. Number one is gonna be Michigan State. Okay. Number two, I believe, is Maryland. Okay. Number three, I'm gonna say Michigan. Really? Okay. Uh Illinois is at four. And Wisconsin's at five. Okay. I would put Wisconsin slightly above uh, Ohio State and Penn State. I think Ohio State and Penn State are right on the cusp of top five. And, you know, you never know what's going to happen, but I just don't see Ohio State being able to hang in there. I think, was it, did they get a guy hurt or was he hurt or was he suspended? Who? Are you talking about Caleb Wesson? No, not Wesson, no. Washington. Um, I want to say his name Washington. Not a hundred percent sure. I don't know. Uh, I just don't. I don't think Ohio State's quite there yet. Um, Justice suing. They're saying had foot surgery. 
Um, Dwayne Washington Jr. suspended for game, so one game. Oh, it was just one game. I didn't. I, I knew he got suspended. I wasn't sure for how long. But, yeah. Um, yeah. So those are the top five at the moment, and the beauty of the Big Ten is that top five is apt to change. Yeah, it's week, very, but. very fluid situation. So you'd leave Rutgers out of there. You're leaving Rutgers out of there right now. At the moment, yes. I think that Rutgers will come down to earth a little bit. I don't know, man. Four and two right now. Yeah. Yep, they're four and two early. We'll see. It's a long season. Got Minnesota, but. Iowa, Nebraska, Purdue, Michigan coming up. So. But do you know who the real win or the real winner is this year in college basketball? The people. Okay, that's that's a good that's a good one. I would say the people, but who else? Uh, I don't know who. Tell me. Vegas. <laughs> Yeah, I'm because sure. Because gamblers are losing money left and right I'm, on a lot of games I'm this sure, year. I'm sure they are. And there's no safe bet this year. Nope. No, there is not. But, but uh, all right. One year, I'm excited. I'm ready to see, you know, it's a long season still, but I'm excited. I think that it's going to be a heck of a run, and, you know, it's, it's going to be a fun last couple weeks of the season because there's going to be a lot of spots open, not only, you know, going for the conference uh, standings and such, but I think there's going to be a lot of spots for the NCAA tournament open. I think this year's bubble is going to be enormous. Yep. I could not agree more, Spangler. But uh, all right, I think we're ready to uh, wrap up episode one of the Spangler and Divine version of Fully Torqued. Um, Anything you want to say to the people before you get out of here? (laughs) Go Irish. Oh, Jesus Christ. All right. All right, Spangler, I'll talk to you later, buddy. All right, sounds good, Jack. Have a good one now.